As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Motorsport Magazine, for the very best in motor racing. Hello everybody and uh, a very warm welcome to this latest Motorsport Magazine podcast. And believe it or not, we are coming to you from the Goodwood Revival. We are in the Rolex Drivers Mess, where you'll find more racing drivers at one time than in any other place in the world. And we have with us, to start our podcast today, Sir Sterling Moss. And we'll be talking later on to many of the other drivers who are here for this incredible Goodwood Revival. Sterling, welcome. Thank you very much. It's nice to be back and on a lovely sunny day. Now, you're a man who knows just a bit about racing at Goodwood. So tell us, first of all, a little bit about the circuit where we are today. Well, the circuit is much more difficult than you think. I mean, it's 2.3 miles, I think. And the chicane looks a big deal, it isn't. I mean, the chicane really, it's quite easy to hit it, but I mean, it's not a serious corner. But then when you get past there and go up to, into the first corner, that's quite difficult because it's a double. And if you get it right, you, you can get through there really very fast. And that, of course, affects your speed on the, on the, on the fast bit of the circuit over by Ford Water and so on. So that's important. Then you come through Ford Water, which is a very difficult corner. Then you've got a left-hander, which is not difficult, but, but you can make up a bit of time on braking some way then you come around and then you get into the straight and the straight you've got to remember here is actually about 200 yards longer or 300 yards longer than it looks because you you've got your foot flat out in in third or depending obviously on the car the, the gears you've got but in my case a third gear and so you've got quite a long run in a flat out run into into the straight the straight is not straight it's got kinks on it Uh, the problem with that is that if the driver isn't looking in his mirror and, and assisting the one overtaking him, that can be d very dangerous. I mean, and I just hope that people will look in the mirror, look in the mirror and see if there's a guy coming and then tell him which side to go. And so you go down there and then, of course, you've got some hard braking. And uh, then you've got quite an interesting with the, with the grandstands on the left where you don't want to make a mess of it because too many people see what you've done. Uh, then you're through that, uh, that uh, polystyrene <laughs> chicane, uh, which to me is an absolute pain in the neck. But there you are. That's what chicanes are. Well, I should have mentioned at the beginning of our podcast today that we also have with us our editor-in-chief, Nigel Roebuck, and our editor, Damien Smith. So we'll all be joining in. Nigel, um, in the old days, of course, the chicane was made of bricks. It was indeed. In fact, <clears throat> I, I wasn't actually here. I, I, I came to Goodwood first, I think, in 1955. I was, I was, uh, my, I was brought here, my, my parents... But in '58, um, the Glover Trophy, my great hero, my childhood hero, Jean Behra, 
lost the brakes of the BRM coming into the chicane. It was a it was a big accident. And in fact, he came almost came out of the car because there are no belts in those. Yeah, days no, he was half uh, out of the yeah, car. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, no, no, it was it was quite solid back then. Yeah. The, th- the thing is, Sterling, that you know, as we've often talked about, it was highly, highly dangerous in those days. And here we are with the, with almost the same cars. All right, they're di- prepared differently, shall we say? But you know, Goodwood is potentially. You know, it's quick, isn't it? Yeah, but one of the reasons one races is because one wants to frighten oneself. I mean, you know, people talk about all this stupid safety stuff. I mean, if you go around and you feel fully safe, what exhilaration are you getting? I mean, it's a load load of modern bull. I mean, it's really for Formula One with all the spin-off area. And I I must say, I I think driving around here is very, very rewarding if if you can get it right. If you don't, then it can be very expensive. Uh, There's no doubt about it. But if you go around the back, for instance, you get all that done tidily you feel my well, god well i really have done a good job there unfortunately when you get to 81 as i am now i'm not as fast as i was and so my my problem is of course i look in the mirror as much as i do the ruddy road and thank god i know where the road goes i mean you had as everyone knows some truly magnificent races here and if i could just pick one out of the hat the tourist trophy in rob walker's ferrari yeah now, it's always been said that you were so far in the lead, you were listening to the wireless in the car. Well, that wasn't because I was lost in the lead. I mean, the reason I was happened to be in the lead, that's true. But the reason was I wanted to know what went on with the whole race. So I had my own pit signals, of course, given by my pit, saying you are first, second, or whatever it is, and you're minus this. Whereas if you got onto the radio, you heard Raymond Baxter saying, look, this guy's leading that class. And, and that was quite interesting. Uh, and, and, of course, in the Ferrari, and with the helmet I wore then, of course, which I wear today, I could still hear... And, uh, you know, it's not, not a noisy car, I mean, it's a very quiet car relative to racing cars. Uh, so I could, I could uh, keep up with what's going on right through the whole race. It was very good. Well, I hope you listening to us can hear what we're saying because we're, we're right next to the driver's mess here is right next to the airfield. And there's a Spitfire warming up outside right now. Uh, so we just hope you can hear us. Um, actually, actually, if I may interrupt you, I think you'll find there's a hurricane, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not too sure. You know, I mean... <laughs> To me, a, spit, a Spitfire is a, is a nervous hurricane. You know, I mean, a Spitfire. I think I think a Spitfire must have handled like a, like a good Lotus, a bit dodgy. You know, one of one of the joys of having you is your constant attention to detail. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, and joining us now, uh, gonna, this program's going to be a little bit sort of uh, you know, let's see what happens next. But anyway, what has happened next? is that Bobby Rahal has sat down on one of our lovely wicker sofas here. Bobby, uh, thanks very much, and welcome to our podcast. Well, thanks, Rob. It's good, uh, it's good seeing you. We talk each to each other over the phone all yeah. the time, and, of course, always Nigel. It's always good to see him and the, uh, the, the, the ace here. I don't know why. I, I know, I know. It's you know, high speed. It's built for high speed tr- circuits. But, uh. Uh, perhaps we should just explain that neither Bobby nor Sir Sterling have... Lots of hair on well, top of that. Look at look at the three. Um, I think I there's something there. I think you can. Yeah. Ooh, the same you can, goes. You for can include me in that. Robert, all I so. know is it takes me about five minutes to get ready for dinner. Well, I'll tell you the trouble with having too much hair. All the time you waste with the damn stuff. That's right. I mean, That's as it right. is now, I mean, yeah, a quick polish. You guys have to worry about how you look. You know, exactly. does my hair look okay? Heck with it. Heck with it. Hey, Bobby. Bobby, I think you better tell us what what you're racing this weekend. Uh, I'm racing. Uh, well, I was racing three cars. I think one of those. Is, uh, going to probably be retired here before too much damage is done but i'm racing um 
with Adrian Newey again in his uh, lightweight E-type. And of course, uh, we won the uh, TT last year, and uh, so now the pressure's really on. You know, uh, uh, it's a fabulous car, and, and uh, last year was a thrill. To, it's a, I mean, that's a tough race to win anyway. Uh, I, I don't care, you know, what, what you've done in the past, because there's everybody wants to win it, and everybody's trying hard, and uh, uh, and so it's a great car, a fabulous car to drive, and uh, and Adrian's a pretty good driver in his own right, so it's, uh, you know, that's always a good time. And then I'm really thrilled. I'm going to drive a D-type uh, this year, Nigel Webb's uh, D-type, and which is, uh, uh, I've driven yeah, a D-type once before, and I found it to be such a great car to drive, so I'm really excited about that. Now, Bobby, has he given you the legal one? Oh, I don't know. I hope not. I hope it's not the legal one. <laughs> I, hope, I hope you've got one of the 3.8 yeah, engines. I, I, need, I need as much help as I can get, so I hope it's, uh, you know, <laughs> I hope it's a 4.2, you know? <laughs> the D-Type, of course, didn't run with anything bigger than 3.4, did it, in this era? 3.8, yeah, it was 3.8, yeah. Sorry, well, then, you, then you may have a legal one. Well, we never know. <laughs> All I know is it's here. So... Uh, and then I have a, uh, I own a Brabham BT8 BRM, a little two-liter BRM engine, um, and unfortunately it's, um, it makes a lot of noise, but it's not going very fast, so uh, I think there's something, uh, something wrong with it. So rather than um, scatter its remains across the, uh, <laughs> the countryside, I think we'll probably park that one, but, uh, but it's still fun to come here, and uh, even if you only drive one car, it's still a great thrill. So sometimes people ask you guys, you know, you've done it all, you've been there, you've won everything. So what on earth are you doing historic racing? And in your case, it's pretty damn obvious because you never stop grinning. Well, I mean, I, you know, as I tell people, I, I got involved in racing as a boy because I was a fan of racing, of the cars, and, and that never stopped. When I raced as a professional, my, my love for the sport didn't, it wasn't just a business, you know. I mean, I, I, I always, I always how loved. How old were you it. when you started then, actually racing? I was twenty. Uh, oh, quite so, late started. Yeah, then. because in the United States at the time, you uh, you had to be twenty-one to, to did race. You, did you ra even on a private uh, circuit? Yeah, I never. Uh, no, I mean, we didn't. You know, in those days, at least for me, uh, you know, I, I, I was very fortunate. You know, my father raced, as you know, in sports cars and as a hobby. So I got to watch the greatest drivers in the world, uh, uh, particularly in the late 60s, early 70s in the sports car championship, you know, the 917s and what have you. But, uh, but, uh, but I never really thought I'd ever drive a race car, and then I got the chance to do it, and thankfully I found out I was reasonably good at it, so I didn't have to go out and find a real job. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, as I said, Rob, you know, my my love for the sport my enthusiasm and interest in it never changed just you know when i became a professional it was just i was able i was fortunate to be able to make a living at it and and uh uh and at the same time follow the cars that i always loved you know watching bobby didn't you once tell me your mother had a porsche had a, had a 904 no, she never had a 904. She had 911s and what have you. I, I, I could have I could have sworn there was no. a 904 in the. We had a 906. Ah, we had okay. a Carrera yeah, 6. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, and in fact, uh, yeah, I spent many hours underneath that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> cleaning it and doing the menial tasks. Uh, you came as a, over to England as a young man, trying to ply your trade over here and get right. into Formula One. Do you have good memories of uh, of those times? I do. I mean, I uh, you know, I certainly would probably do things a little differently uh, now, uh, just because you know I 
you know, in those days that you just kind of came over by yourself and tried to make the best of it. And, uh, you know, I was pleased that we were able, you know, we ran Formula 3 and we had a lot of good results and, you know, competitive in Formula 3. Uh, you know, the year of 1978, if you look at who dominated Formula 1 for the next really decade at least, it was, they all, you know, PK was in then and uh, Derek Warwick, uh, myself, uh, uh, there were some very good drivers that never really quite made it. Uh, Anders Olofsson, who I think he Jan Lammers won the F3 championship that year, but Olofsson was very, very good, and a French driver named Patrick Gaillard, who uh, was extremely good. And uh, you know, so you got to race against all these great young guys. And uh, Pete, or, uh, Prost was uh, in F3 that year uh, as well. Um, so I loved and I loved racing the European circuits. And then I did Formula Two and the same. Uh, so I don't, uh, you know, I wish it would have been a little more successful. You know, I would like to, uh, you know, we probably didn't quite go about it the way we should have. We were never quite with the best teams, you know, and, yeah. you've, and when you look back in hindsight, you know you really have to be with the best teams. Mm -hmm. um, you know, would Lewis Hamilton be where he is today if he hadn't been groomed by Ron Dennis, you know, from the start and, and the best teams at every level of the sport? And you really have to have that. So uh, none of which I had, but I have no, no regrets. It was a great thrill. and made a lot of friends and enjoyed it did you have a test here in formula three because by in Don at, at uh, goodwood no 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 because we I, I ran delara's first formula three car so we were based in italy right. and uh drove at a little track there called verano that's uh, that's where we did our testing mm. yeah the car was fabulous at verano <laughs> 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 there was only one problem there weren't any races at verano <laughs> i tell you one of one of your competitors said to me today, "You know what? The great thing about being an old racing driver is the older we get, the faster we were." Absolutely, yes, exactly, uh, absolutely, very true. <laughs> but you know what I loved about it? just a real quick story, if we have the time. We have um, time. You know, I went to Delara in uh, the spring of '78, uh, and um, I get there, and I don't speak a word of Eng of Italian, and nobody there except for Doctor Engineer uh, Ingeniere Delara. Uh, he spoke English, but nobody else really did. And uh, I'll never forget, I, I get in the car, and they'd tie a rope around the roll bar and uh, to the back bumper of a Fiat 500. And they'd drag me through town, out to the circuit. There's no trailer, no, you know, no, no, no phalanx of, of mechanics. You know, there was like one guy, and, dri and he was driving the Fiat. And you'd go out there, and you'd start testing. And pretty soon, after a few laps, you'd see a couple heads on the hillside, you know, people watching. And after about 30 minutes, it would be couple more and an hour later there'd be you know more and more and probably two hours later I don't think anybody was doing anything in the town other than watching <laughs> the testing you know and to me that's what it was all about I love that you know yeah, that was just yeah. and I I would never you know these people didn't have a lot of money you go into the little cafe and I never bought a coffee or a little cake or whatever they always gave it to you and that to me is what made it all uh, really special yeah Particularly in Italy, as you say. I mean, Nigel, you were at Monza last weekend. I mean, the feeling, the passion, the atmosphere oh, yeah. is just the same in 2010. Yeah, yeah, it is. And in fact, I mean, the the the, the post-race scenes on Sunday were sort of almost sort of going back to the sort of time of Schechter and Vilna, yeah. uh, because they they never showed that sort of passion when Michael won, you know, simply because they admired him, but they never took him to their uh, their hearts. 
Yeah, no, I, I must say, I think that uh, the Italians are fan incredible spectators to have because they are so keen. You know, it's, as a driver, it's wonderful to see people who, who really are enjoying what you're doing because, after all, we're only actors, really. You, you, you know, using a car as a tool of our trade, and they really do appreciate it. It's amazing, amazing. In fact, the paddock these days of Monza is quite... It's Bernie's influence. It is quite a sort of uh, antiseptic Tidy. feeling, yeah, compared with what it used to be. But we were reminiscing last weekend about the, you know, the the uh, the good old days in the uh, 70s and 80s, and the and the things the fans would do to get into the paddock. Mm -hmm. And we came in. I remember coming in one morning, and the police were just arresting a bunch of people, and they had tunnelled. Under, under the wire. Sure. Yeah. I don't doubt yeah. it. Really? Yeah. Well, you know, interesting, another little tidbit. You know, when we, uh, 1985, we, this is when I guess uh, Enzo was threatening the FIA that he was going to pull out of Formula One and go to IndyCar racing. So um, the fellow I drove for, Jim Truman, was approached by Leo Mel, who ran Goodyear, and said, would we be interested in running the Ferrari IndyCar? And, of course, that was, that was quite a big you know, I mean, that was an exciting offer, you know, to Ferrari and Indianapolis car racing. And so we shipped uh, one of my March um, 85C Indy cars over to Fiorano. And uh, so ostensibly they could copy it, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, I actually tried to get Adrian because Adrian knew he had been my engineer in 84 and 85. And I tried to get Adrian to come with me. And uh, but he didn't, you know, and he was still working with March. And I think Robin heard probably and, you know, gave him a lot of good reasons why he shouldn't go there. And uh, so uh, um, um, uh, so we off we went and we were doing testing the same same thing. I got to do the first few laps at Fiorano and you see people they're hanging on the walls because there wasn't a hillside yeah. to sit yeah. above or they're on they've shinned up telephone poles to you know get a glimpse over yeah. the wall because the wall yeah. was about at least 20 feet high. And uh, and you know, so we watched us do the testing, and I, said, I don't think you'd see that anywhere else except well, Italy. I mean, this yeah. is the stuff. This is why we're all sitting here now. This is why yeah. we've all loved it all our lives, isn't it? I mean, it's just. Um, so yeah. Sterling, we, you've got to go. I know you don't yeah, know I'm this, but I'm getting signals that you have to leave us now. I've, so got, I've got to go because I've got to go and chat people up around the place and try and earn a living, actually. Try and so, earn a living? Uh, uh, try and earn a living, yeah. yeah. Okay, Going around shaking hands, signing books, you know, that sort of thing. But it is a great occasion and it's so nice to speak to you. Yeah. And I uh, look forward to it next year Thank when you I'll be a bit older. Much. Have a great weekend. Thank, Thank you. you. Sterling Moss. Doesn't get better than that. No. Well, at Goodwood, it doesn't get any better than <laughs> that, does it? Um, in a few moments, uh, we will have another driver joining us. And yes, you're right, I don't know who it is. But, I mean, they're going to come and see us, and then they're going to go, and we're, Bobby's still here. Bobby, um, this place, Goodwood, you need to be pretty much wide awake, don't you? It's oh, yeah. I mean, uh, this circuit is so fast, and uh, and all the corners tighten up. As you the further, you know, they're all decreasing radius corners. So it, you can get sucked into these corners, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, you know, oh, boy, you know, and... Uh, uh, especially as at St. Mary's, I think, in the back. I mean, that one tightens up quite a bit. And you're going quite quick, you know, into approaching that. And, uh, uh, you know, even turn one, uh, it's the same thing at double apex. But it's very easy to um, to get in there a little too hot. And, and then it doesn't want to, you know, of course, you're driving somebody else's car all the time, too. So you're going, you know, I tell you, there's there's a lot of pressure 
because unfortunately the competitive juices still flow amongst everybody here and when the flag drops everybody goes storming off into turn one and of course you know it's you know no matter what all the uh, all the discussion about everybody's supposed to drive like gentlemen uh, that happens beforehand when the green when the union jack in this case uh, drops then it's like my good you know it's uh, or actually it goes up I guess but anyway uh, <laughs> Uh, it uh, you know everybody's brain switches off and it's back to the old days and uh, but it's but this circuit is a very challenging uh, uh, extremely fast uh, circuit and it's very easy to get into the corners uh, a little too hot and not much uh, runoff and there's not much run and the thing about these cars with little tires and it's uh, you know once they're on a trajectory that's pretty much it it's not like you can turn the wheel a little bit more and they'll they'll they'll, they'll turn a little more. <laughs> I mean, sort of once you're on that line, that's it. So you better make sure you're where you're supposed to be. Bobby, um, Goodwood's been a big influence on you with your new enterprise over in the yeah. States, the Motor Racing Legends Series. Right. How, how's it going? You know, I think, uh, I think we're a critical success. Uh, we haven't, we're not getting the kind of fields that we'd like to get yet. Um, but, uh, but I think people are very happy with the uh, organization. And I th to me, that's first. You know, if we're not doing those things right, then it doesn't matter you know what we might say or do afterwards and so uh, uh, I, we have our next races at Sebring in December and I think we're gonna have a, a very good entry there so uh, pleased about that and, and I think the, the the word in the paddocks around the country are very it's very positive so I think next year we, we look forward to much better fields and is the, the spirit of Goodwood is, is what you're trying to achieve over there? well you know I'd love to I, I, I don't th you know the spirit maybe there's no way you can replicate Goodwood Goodwood is is unique i don't know i don't care where you would go anywhere in the world i don't think you could capture uh everything that that, that you see or feel here uh this truly is just uh, a one in a million um event and uh but there are certain aspects of it that you know yes we we would like to to embrace one of which is how the participants are are treated and and uh uh, and not just having a lot of track time, but being, you know, fed and, and you know, just the whole entertainment side. You know, it's, about six months ago, I said to my wife, I said, you know, I think we're going to take a pass on Goodwood this year. And she goes, well, I don't know. She goes, You're, you might, but I'm going. <laughs> and, and that's what you really strive for. You know, if you want to have something your wife or girlfriend wants to go to. And uh, for sure, uh, Lord March has, has figured that one out. Okay, well... A man who has won the Le Mans 24-hour race so many times it's almost ridiculous has joined us around the table. And, of course, his name is Tom Christensen. Tom, thank you very much for coming. Fantastic to see you. It's a you. pleasure. Thank you very much. Um, tell us about your weekend coming up. I see you studying what I think are practice times there, yeah? I was just handed them, yeah. I've been out on the, out on the track, and I think it's... Uh, it's uh, it's really, uh, it's really a great circuit. Obviously, old school. It's got a lot of camber changes, but very fast. It's faster than, than uh, you know, I've expected. I, I had a brief run here on the wet last week, uh, before the Silverstone race, and I'm, I'm very impressed. But uh, there was not so many people. Now it's like walking back into the 50s, 60s, or whatever. And I, I must say, this is uh, being a Goodwood novice. I'm really overwhelmed. It's interesting, isn't it? You know, imagine being a novice when you've done everything you've done. Yeah, but of course, um, you, you, you. I got to ask you, really, what made you want to come and do it? Because, you know, like all these guys, you've done everything, and you're still, you know, really in there. 
obviously this is, I mean I was I was asked before to come which I, 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 I couldn't uh, I, it didn't fit but obviously this is the heritage of motorsport this is this is our heart and soul and to be able to to drive against or in cars and also sometimes against drivers who um, who is uh, who drove uh, competitively before I was even born and this racetrack goes to the 66 I'm born in 67 uh, this is of course this is something unique and this is something which uh, I think if this is not in your heart and soul if this is not your interest then you have no fundamental passion for motorsport and what I see here I see passion I see everyone is in the act in a way I see everyone here with a twist in the eye of of what they have they brought on the clothes or the car they bring out but I see this is much more than what we do on the racetrack I mean the whole paddock is uh, is bossing and this is what is different to what we do normally and every day and that's nice uh, good to see you Tom here um, Goodwood back in the 50s and 60s used to hold a round of the the World Sports Car Championship. You're competing in what is essentially a world championship now, the new Intercontinental Series. How important do you think it is for sports car racing to have a, a world championship? Do you think? Do you consider this this new series a, as a world championship? Yes, we, we do, and we, it is the the right way. Certainly for uh, certainly for the manufactured and the manufactured back teams. Obviously, the Achilles heel is with private teams but uh, to make the funding to make the travel uh, all around the world but it makes the it makes the key and the Le Mans is the jewel in the, in the crown it is the, 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 the race where everyone builds their cars but we want to race them and go to to show them to the public all around the world so yes Intercontinental Cup or whatever it's called it is a world uh, championship in, 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 in our minds I guess it's due to rights from FIA or ACO but the um, world championship is um, I, 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 uh, I absolutely love it and in a way I mean now I I didn't hear what uh, what you talked with, with, with Bobby on uh, before, but obviously the American Le Mans series have done that. And when we did that, the whole world looked on to it or looked at that. They did it really, really well. And of course, the European Le Mans series is, is run at a, at a very high level. But it, it, it's basically, if we can combine these elements into the World Series, then it... Um, then it can be, be really good because I think you can ask all the drivers you get in these seats and ask and when they have done sports cars what if they like that and I think everyone says yes sports cars for sure is what I enjoy most in racing because you share a car with another driver you need the respect you need the camaraderie and I think that's what is, uh, is, uh, is good in sports cars and sometimes yes we love to watch the Formula 1 races as well but we are very happy doing the sports cars and you can do them a little bit longer and you know I'm, I'm not 25 anymore but um, a little bit older than that I was just going to say Tom I remember a few years ago talking to Martin Brundle about you and and he described you as the great lost Formula 1 driver he said he said I can remember him saying Christensen should have been in Formula 1 years ago do you ever feel you you, you know, you know that? what? I mean, I think any any driver, and that's right. He 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 has the ambition to do go to Formula One. So a lot of time, it's it, that is the the focus. But we all know today, uh, and with hindsight, we all know there's a lot more to motorsport than Formula One. And um, I'm not saying I, I have tried hard in in in, pre, in in previous years. I've even talked to Bobby at some stage. You can ask him about that. But obviously, I have been there, been thereabouts. But it's difficult for Dane. I have never had any backing of significance. So what I, I realized is I have to drive for people who want me to drive the cars. Yeah. But, and this has been great. I'm absolutely, have, I'm, I'm looking back of 
fantastic years. And if I made it to Formula One a few times, there has been some little opportunities. I might not have had the, the, the luck and success I've had, especially with Audi, because the signing with Audi is, of course, for me, um, a fantastic opportunity. Sure. So in that sense, you need the goals and the ambition to motivate yourself to yeah. do well when you're in a race car. And um, sometimes um, other people get picked, but it's it's perfect. I think the Formula One today, you I think you have more or less the all the right drivers in at the moment. And obviously, I'm I know I'm far too old now. But yes, I would love to have gone, but I'm very happy with 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 not. You're only two years older than Schumacher. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bobby, uh, Tom came to see you. Just tell us a bit about that. Yeah, it, I think it was probably around uh, 2000. Um, I was t it came down to between Tom and Kenny Breck to take over the uh, shell car for Brian Herta. And uh, Tom had come very highly recommended uh, by a lot of people, and as had Kenny. And uh, we spoke. Uh, actually, probably Tom should thank me for not hiring him because he never would have won <laughs> Le Mans eight times, right? But... Uh, yeah. But uh, in the end, I, I went with Kenny uh, only really because at the time he'd had oval experience, and you know, not whether uh, no, not, you did the right choice. Not whether I mean, <laughs> not whether Tom could do it or not, because yeah. for sure Tom would have been able to. No, but um, it's a pleasure. I've been at his workshop in um, in Ohio, and yeah. um, it's pretty good. Yeah. So uh, that's why I always get a thrill to when I when I see Tom do so well because. Um, uh, it's, it's kind of funny, I, you know, in 2001, I think I came very close to hiring Heinz Held Frensen. We met number oh, yeah, several yeah, times, yeah, yeah. Right. and I'll never forget, he wins the French Grand Prix, so I, I text me, I, uh, I sent him a, a, a cable that said, aren't you glad I didn't hire you now? <laughs> so, so uh, but uh, no, I think, uh, I think Tom would then, he'd be successful no matter what it is, and uh, you know, I think there's probably a lot of guys who either just dabbled in Formula One or never got there that could have been very successful had all the the moons aligned and the planets and what have you. Because as we know, it's not always um, not always clear why somebody's where they are. Okay, well done, you guys. Um, we now welcome uh, to the uh, motorsport table Martin Brundle. Uh, I don't think Martin needs much introduction, only to say that he's probably a bigger name now than he was when he was in Formula 1 in a very different way of life but uh, it's been a hugely successful for you hasn't it? Well the TV's gone very well yeah it's sort of a second career I've been very lucky and uh, to the extent where I often describe my racing career as a fact finding mission for my television career but uh, <laughs> I well but that's the way it's turned out uh, but I still get a lot of pleasure I mean it's really interesting for me this four week break that we just had in Formula 1 about two and a half weeks in I was just itching ready to go I, I wanted to go back racing and I was missing it quite badly so especially with the with the great championship year we're having at the moment it's so exciting so I still I think I've done 27 years now of F1 and uh, well over 400 races I'm, I was talking to Roger Benoit the other day this the Swiss journalist he's just doing his 600th Grand Prix mm. I thought I'd been to a lot of races yeah. so um, but but I do enjoy it a lot well, um, Benoit 600, you say? Yeah, apparently. Wow. Oh, you're not going to trump no, 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 I'm not. No, I've done about 535, something like that. No, no, I'm not near Benoit. And in fact, Jabby was Jabby Cronbach was well over 600. Is that right? When he, yeah, when he. It's yeah. a lot of air miles. Now, <coughs> this season of all seasons, though, um, we were just saying before we came on air that to win the world championship this year is going to be so special because what's the season it's been? 
it's just so tight. It is, and, and you're right. And I think we've got a lot of excitement to come here with the night race of Singapore, the uh, on a bumpy track and a, a street layout, then the unpredictable tracks of Suzuka where the weather can be strange. Uh, it'll be the same in Brazil. We go, we go to Korea in between. Nobody knows that. Abu Dhabi might be a bit more predictable. So we've got a grand finale to what's been a brilliant season. All five of them get up every morning and think they're going to win the World Championship this year. And, and I do admire them, especially Monza, you know, Vettel, Alonso and Button, the guys who really had to get their season back on course, all got the job done. So with the point system the way it is, it's, it's all to play for. I have no idea who's going to win the title. You'd, you'd think that the advantage that Hamilton and Weber have got, mm-hmm. and even after Monza, would be enough to give them a comfort zone. But I think that Alonso Vettel and uh, Button can afford to take risks and just go for gold. And sometimes that pays off, as yeah, we all know. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. I was going to say, one, one thing that interests me is that you've taken the trouble or been able to drive some of these modern cars to keep you you know up to speed in your current job um and sometimes we hear you know they are very very tricky to drive people say they look easy to drive on television but you know they're very 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 different from your day aren't they well in many respects they're a lot easier to control Uh, you can't miss a gear you really have to struggle to lock a brake and they pretty much react to your mind you whatever you think you want to do next the car's ready to do they turn in brilliantly they stick like hell in the fast corners and and even now i think i could quite quickly get to within two or three seconds per lap of a competitive time until my neck fell off uh, i think i did 37 laps in a williams a couple of years back and i was destroyed for about two days physically <laughs> they beat you up but it's as ever it's that last second or so that's really hard to, to do and you know, jumping in a set-up Formula One car is easy. Somebody else has set it up. So you've got to work with the team, work your tyres, understand the race, think about the race. There's so much to it. And it, as it is with any high-level motorsport, any high-level sport, I suspect, that it's not just about the raw lap time. Fundamentally, the cars are so much better than the ones I raced in Formula One. They're a dream to drive, and they they don't bite you, really. But, uh, uh, you know, when, get them very close to the ragged edge, and that's where the skill comes in. Um, you use that, that, that is also how you uh, go into the A, Austin A35 today, that's with the same mindset. <laughs> yeah, I've got such a weekend, I, I had a seat fitting in my two, I always said I'd never come in unless I could test the car, which I've tested neither of them, and I got out of a 250 GTO Ferrari worth north of 20 million bucks apparently, and you sit on, sort of on that almost, looking down on the bonnet, and then I got into this A35 worth something less than 20 million bucks presumably and you, you sit on the floor I couldn't see out of it it was but it, it was quite a good little car actually I, I realised you don't need the brakes you just turn in and um, I'll be quicker next time we're fifth on the grid there's going to be you're second on the grid I think aren't you yeah. you, your car yeah. uh, it, it, it does uh, look very much so a 2010 A35 Martin <laughs> well I don't know I don't know what an A35 it's the first car I ever had when I was 8 years old we used yeah. to go round around a really? field as soon as we could blag one of my dad's mechanics out of the workshop to take us and uh, my brother used to kneel on the seat and I would I could drive it and look through the steering wheel and that's pretty much how I felt today actually it took me back to being 8 years old well I, I think I speak for everyone when I say I think it's truly fantastic that guys like you come and do this really fun the crowd love it everyone loves it so Thank you to all of you. Uh, we're drowned. We're drowned. 
joined now by uh, some trouble. Uh, Mr. Jochen Mass uh, is here. He's a busy man this weekend too. Thank you very much, Tom Christensen. Thank you. Uh, Jochen driving three cars. Busy man. Uh, two busy men here, Martin Brundle and Jochen Mass, actually. And uh, Jochen, you're in the TT in a DB4 GT Aston Martin, which is not going to win the race, but a great car for you to have. Don't talk it down before we start it, please. <laughs> no, no, I've, I've never driven an Aston Martin, so I was really looking forward to do that finally. And uh, luckily somebody heard my sort of outcry <laughs> from the, from the backlands and, uh, you know, called me up and he said, you can drive with me. So that's nice. Uh, I really look forward to it. I believe it's a lovely car. You had more experience with it, right? With the Aston Martin DB4. Yeah, it's a nice car, so it's quite nicely balanced. So yep. I'm going to bite you too much, but I don't think it depends which one it is. I don't think it's the fastest car here, is it? No. I mean, it doesn't have a lot of titanium and carbon fibre in like some of the others. Yeah, no, exactly. It weighs about 1,200 kilos, so it's more on the heavy end. But, you know, if you come from a, from a Mercedes sort of situation, then everything is light. <laughs> you know, Mercedes is by nature slightly on the heavy end. But, um, you know, that's the way it was. But this this circuit's bitten you in the past, hasn't it? You had a quite a nasty accident here in the the Lancia Ferrari. You did right in front of me. I can't remember. No, I don't kidding. want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but honestly, it, it, I mean, yeah, it frightened the hell out of me. You know, just oh, it did. Jesus. It did. Okay, it did. Out of me too. The funny thing was, Formula One car upside down. Yeah, no, no, it Jesus. wasn't very good. No, I hope I was hoping while I was sort of going towards it that it wouldn't happen like that, and. Um, you know, it was really a stupid situation because if you stand on the on the brake and on the throttle at the same time, the more you brake, the more you accelerate. And I couldn't extract my foot in time. So then I thought I go straight through the chicane. But then for a moment I thought there's still a piece of brick wall in it. But of course there wasn't. But I, I couldn't remember exactly. So I thought rather not take that risk, try it one way or the other, you know. So I spun on the grass and so on and fell over. Didn't do much damage. And, um, you know, my back is still sometimes a little bit less flexible than it might have been otherwise but um, you know these things happen unfortunately and it's a bit stupid it shouldn't happen and it's really uh, anyway you know but it went went well so I can't complain you got a neck like a rugby player thankfully haven't you <laughs> but and, and it strangled you didn't it? the crash helmet sort of was cutting yeah off because your ears, yeah like. the back end of my my helmet while I skidded backwards scooped up a lot of earth grass and and you know no, it, it, it was pushed forward and the strap strangled my windpipe completely. And it was, it's a bit silly because you know you don't have much time left before you go unconscious. And uh, so I was putting my hand out gingerly, trying to persuade somebody to lift the car so I could actually get my head forward. But, um, or backwards rather. And, um, you know, it didn't happen. So I, I pulled it off my head. Luckily, it was an open face helmet. And I pulled it off my head and uh, it worked. You know, I was quite heavily bruised after that. But nevertheless, you know, in desperation you manage. I'm interested now, uh, we're celebrating the 70th anniversary of the Battle of Britain and we've got the Spitfires here. As a good German, Jochen, how does that feel, <laughs> sitting in the driver's mess here? Well, thanks for rubbing it in. <laughs> it's um, the most impressive sight of Goodwood revival, the planes here. I really love them. You know, I, I look at them as, not as fighting machines, perhaps, as you do, perhaps, you know, coming from the island. But, um, <laughs> you know, I look at them as pieces of brilliant... 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Engineering, uh, flying machines, you know, brilliantly engineered flying machines. And that's uh, great. I flew with one. I was lucky enough to go around with Nigel Lamb once and so on. They're highly impressive. And um, <clears throat> it's, um, it's a wonderful sight here to see them all the time. I do not necessarily feel all that comfy uh, when it's sort of emphasized on you know, <laughs> coming to our driver's club. I said, this is not a driver's club. This is a war club <laughs> <You know? laughs> with all these sort of pointers, you know, towards what you shouldn't do and what you should definitely avoid, you know being with Germans <laughs> so therefore it's a bit peculiar but then again of course I understand it is as always uh, sort of a, a key a focus point of somebody's life you know a war it's the I mean it's the most hideous thing which can happen and yet of course it, it leaves you for all your life once you've been in it and you you suffer through it one way or the other you know probably our parents of course more than us luckily and um and so on so I understand this point of view I understand the, the emotions behind it and all that that's of course pretty clear but um, you know being a German you know I'm also glad that it ended the way it ended we would have not been any better had it been the other way around that's for sure and just just bringing things back to the modern day being yeah. a German what's the reaction um, at home for, uh, to Vettel this year because the way things are going he's looking more and more like Michael Schumacher like a young Michael Schumacher again. What's the, what's the, the press is reaction? That, is that the public? perceived as good or bad? I'm, I'm assuming that's bit of, good. Bit of both? Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, a bit of everything. Yeah. No, I think Vettel, look, I mean, every driver has a different character. And uh, I think Vettel is a completely different person to Michael. And I think he drives different and he approaches uh, racing differently and so on. So I think he's, a, he's a, a lighter kid, let's say, than perhaps Michael was in the same stage of his life. And um, I think he's very, very well perceived. Michael became very popular because of his fantastic um, successes, you know, to win seven titles, something else. But, um, you know, he was never really perceived as Mr. Nice Guy, even in Germany. Everybody liked him for his success, but yeah. they always had some sort of misgivings for one or the other character traits, which he occasionally displayed, which was sometimes unjust, sometimes it was correct and so on so he was a difficult person perhaps and you know he's maturing we talked about it earlier he's maturing now you know through age and uh, the first time now that I heard him in an interview admitting that he cannot be in the same sort of speed league as the young guys so um, that's that's a new side to him which we haven't seen so far 
Okay, M- Martin. Uh, Martin Brundle's about about to leave us. Prob- a because he probably wants some lunch, and B because uh, we have Richard Atwood waiting in the wings. But Martin, I just wanted to mention one quick thing, and that is that Bernie Ecclestone says that uh, Sebastian Vettel will be the world champion this year or at some point. I, I've no doubt he'll be a world champion at some point. I, I'm full of admiration. I love the way he drives. I love his mentality. I love his style with the media. No other driver thanks the cameraman and soundman before he leaves. And everybody in the paddock admires him. He's a bit impetuous, there's no doubt about it. His speed and skill is unquestioned. I see him as Lewis Hamilton two years ago, frankly. I see the speed and commitment without the control. And quite clearly, Sebastian loses his head a little bit under pressure. We've seen that so many times this year already. Um, But if Bernie means this year, then I think it's a tall order for him. Uh, but not impossible if he means in the future then I think it's a guarantee and the odd thing is he's made more mistakes this year than he did last hasn't he I think because last year he he threw away a potential championship and I think he put it down to well I might I might have won it but for a few mistakes here and there this year he expected the championship and he's and I think that pressure is a strange thing isn't it Jochen we've all we've all been through it and uh, it does strange things with your body and your mind under uh, in a racing car as in anything else in life under pressure and that is a question of how you you know the pressure is either going to burn you and bury you or, or give you energy and lift you yeah, yeah. okay well uh, if you'd like to hear some more from martin brunnell you only have to wait about five days six five or six days and he will be back on bbc television in singapore thank you martin and uh, our next guest uh, Mr. Richard Atwood. Richard, thank you very much. Uh, Richard Atwood, probably one of the most loyal Goodwood supporters of them all and uh, will be famous to many of you for the superb victories here at Goodwood in the BRM uh, since we've been uh, staging the revival meeting. But of course, before that, uh, also a Grand Prix driver. Richard, um, this weekend, tell us about what you're racing, first of all. Well, I have uh, four four races, the Saloon, yes, uh, and the Falcon, but not the big one, the midi one, it's a six-cylinder one, so I've driven that already this morning. The other three I haven't, as uh, in the Dino 246, uh, what I call the Hawthorne-type car, and the BRM, which I've owned with Michael Ostromov for the last several years, which hasn't run well for a long time, but we're fing- fingers crossed in that one. Three sixty-six uh, rear-engine Grand Prix cars, and in, uh, I'm in a Cobra, with a guy here for the first time in the TT. Yeah. So so it's a busy Sunday, I think. <laughs> you, you guys are busier than you were when you, what you were when you were, aren't you? Well, uh, but, you know, I mean, in the old days, I mean, Sterling would do all the races in a day, wouldn't he? So, you know, things haven't changed in that respect. If I mean, it's possible to drive more, but four is probably a bit too much. But it'll, it, it keeps you busy. Yeah. Richard, back in the 60s, you know, uh, racing drivers drove on so many different types of circuit. Goodwood was a, an airfield circuit. How, how was it um, rated by the drivers back then in terms of all the different other circuits that you were racing on? Safety-wise, you're talking about? No, just in terms of a, yeah. as, a, as a as racing a circuit, as a challenge. No, it was, um, I think, good to me, Goodwood is a fantastic circuit. I, I mean, it was when you think it was just a perimeter track around an airfield, how it's uh, turned out is just amazing. And Tony Gaze is here this weekend, and he—it was his idea that he suggested to the Duke that you know that maybe they could make a track here. And uh, the corners are just—they're—they're um, they're medium high speed. 
and these old cars are really uh, on the move you know if you go on the outside of the track here you'll see everybody who's really on it they're um, they're working quite well <laughs> so um how did it compare with other tracks um i don't know really i mean it was uh, all the tracks were dangerous anyway um if you talk about dangerous tracks as uh, spa and um Nürburgring to me were the ones that when i left there i clasped my hands together and uh, looked to the sky because they you know if you went off on either of those tracks in those days um you were either you're going to be severely injured if nothing if nothing worse and um spa is probably the worst of the lot and i'm not talking about the spa as it is now of course well i, w I drove around the old spa when i was there three or four weeks ago at what you know the, the part of it that remains and every time i do it and i do it every year and every time I still have the same sort of feeling hmm. through, you know, Bourneville and then the, and the Master King concern. Yeah, yeah. And you just think... Yeah. Well, uh, the, there's, uh, <sighs> some of it's not there you? now. I mean, the Master no, King no, was, was a huge corner where the flags were and uh, then down that straight. But, I mean, it was all at such high speed. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, a, a, an incident there, You are, there were bridges and uh, yeah. uh, lampposts and telegraph yeah. poles and things. Yeah. Well, I mean, I went off there and I hit a telegraph pole, but... Fortunately for me, the car slowed down quite a lot by that time, but the car caught fire and it was quite dramatic. And yeah. I, I could have easily become another statistic right yeah. there. Yeah. Could you take the Master King flat with the with the old Formula cars? Uh, I think we were in mm. one and a half litre cars, so I think it was uh, in '65. I was there. Yes, almost certainly, I'm sure it was. The three litre cars, I can't really remember to be honest. Um, but the 917s went there as well. Um, and they obviously would not be flat because no. they were aerodynamically, you know, went through the air quite a bit faster, so not. But I remember it being flat from Stavolo up, back up to La Source. I think that section for no. most cars was pretty no, much No, the flat. fast left-hander was not quite flat. No, is it not? Just it before La Source, quite, then, yeah, maybe, yeah, yes. La Source. But a lot of it was flat out, so I mean, was, you were yeah, you exactly, know, right yeah. top speed the whole time. So, And, of course, the average speed was way off the scale yeah, yeah. so y Jochen for you Spa or Nürburgring what was what was better and more scary well I mean the Nürburgring was in some way safer it sounds sounds a bit silly and I, but the, the old Spa was a treacherous circuit I loved it I really loved it because it was very you know exuberating and it was it was really amazing but um, it was damn hairy when we drove it and when we won the 24 hours in 72 we lost four people in the night Mm. So there was the Oyster and three Alpha, uh, two Alphas in the night and then one in the morning and so on. So on. And I wondered why we should do that, mm. you know, just take these sort of risks. And, of course, a marshal was killed in the Master King who was run over by a master on top of it. And um, <coughs> so it, it was a difficult thing to swallow at the time. You know, we were considering safety a little bit more important than perhaps previously. So, um, but Nürburgring was, because of its sheer nature, it wasn't quite as quick. You know, in most sections, there was a very fast Antonius Buch and all that after long straight before you get down to the dip and back to the, you know, now the chicane. Of course, then it was still quite flat. You had a bit of a, a left, right, left again past the start and finish line. Yes. Uh, leading up to start and finish yeah. line. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that was, that was the only <coughs> fast bit, really, wasn't so it? The, was, the straight was really was fast. terribly quick. Yeah. And so on. But the others were more sort of corners, which were exciting, you know. Mm. It was a great track. I mean, we knew because it was you know, in the 60s there were no guardrails nothing there were just the hedges really and of course that was hairy enough but uh, on the other hand remarkably little really happened at this 
strange circuit. Well, I think I think it, I mean I don't know when you first drove there, but in, in the first sixty-eight. Sixty-eight. Now, had they done the uh, surface improvement at all then, or not? No, because I remember the roads very cambered, and drive, yeah. just driving in a straight line yeah. was very difficult. And the first guy I drove there was the Shelby Cobra in '64, and uh, that was just the most diabolical car because of the the surface. And I remember taking off literally four wheels off the ground, 20 to 30 times a lap, which just doesn't happen now because no, of course no, it's no. been sanitised with the surface. Yeah. But um, but it was narrow and overtaking was very very difficult because of that and the cambers were very yeah, very I didn't know critical. it like that yeah, yeah. I should have must have no, been no no it, it was really really bad and those they were the two circuits that I feared the most but I remember even with a 962 or 956 with a Porsche I could look at my ref counter exactly twice a lap you couldn't watch your instruments you were so busy trying to keep the car on the road it was mm. amazing mm. and uh, there was sort of you know I mean the Formula 1 was by comparison mm. beautiful Yes, but that's whether you had a certain amount of downforce with those cars, which of course we, we didn't have at all. Yeah, we had too much downforce perhaps. Well, maybe. I, d- I, d- I didn't experience that. Yeah. <laughs> Keeps you on the ground though. <laughs> yeah, not everywhere, so. And especially when it wears out a little bit. Spoke to Belov <coughs> because we were driving at the same sort of stints and um, different cars. So, and uh, I started to fly at the uh, Flansgarten jump in the back. And I told him, I said, watch it when your underbody is worn a little bit. You know, you lose some of the downforce and you may fly there. He said, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And they did fly, big mm. time. Mm. Not the, yeah, he didn't land in time to take the, the right-hander. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well. I'm interrupting because we've been uh, joined now by Manuel Ipiro, who uh, you may have read his interview in the very latest edition of Motorsport magazine. I hope you have read it. And if you did, I hope you enjoyed it. But Manuel, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Have you had your lunch? Yeah, my, first of all, my pleasure. Thank you. I had my lunch and actually I'm a little bit uh, feeling uh, strange because I just flew from the US through the night and got, uh, got to Heathrow in the morning, uh, drove um, straight to the, to the hotel. Room was not ready. I'm not complaining. I'm really happy, boy. But room was <laughs> not ready. I changed in the, in the bathroom and uh, rush into the paddock, sign on in a real split second and, and jump into a car that I never saw before. And, and this is, if I ever write a book, you know, I'm going to advise exactly not to do what I've done today. But <laughs> unfortunately, the call and the passion of motor racing is so strong and uh, I couldn't avoid being in Washington DC last night, but I couldn't miss Goodwood. So here yeah, I but am. It's, that's the Roman way. I mean, you did a lot in history, which you shouldn't have done. So <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> well, anyway, it's, t- it's, t- it's tough at the top, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's. Uh, I mean, this is now becoming a, uh, a habit for me. A good, it's. It, it's an event that uh, I have to have a, a very, very, very good reason to miss it. And um, every year, y- you feel more and more home. And every year, you want to come back again. And um, and you know life is short and uh, it doesn't give you so many opportunities of uh, being around in the, envir- in the environment that we all love and seeing all the people that um, you know friendship is a big word but there's a lot of people that you feel you feel close to them even if you see them once or twice a year because you're you're sharing the same passion you're sharing the same risks you're sharing the same life and uh, and a lot of the people of these people you meet in Goodwood so it's really great to be here 
Um, we thought we'd seen the last of you in terms of international racing after the, after um, you parted ways with Audi, but you're enjoying a new lease of life now uh, with the Lola t- um, in the LMS. And how's it how's it driving as a as a privateer? Um, yeah, this is a is a good question, and uh, you know it. it it's difficult sometimes to script your life and uh, at one stage um, Audi was um, actually since a long time ago they were thinking of uh, um, you know ending our generation of drivers and, 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 and renewing it but we kept delivering results but at a certain stage I made an agreement with them and, uh, and they said okay at the end of 08 whatever happens is going to be my last season they offered me a nice contract as uh, as a brand ambassador so to let's say give a reason of the 16 years of uh, partnership and success we had together and I said okay that's that's a good opportunity I take it but then it's uh, I didn't really take into account my my strong strong passion and so I felt really bad staying at home um, although my life is, is really full thank god of other commitments and there's a lot of work and uh, i really have a problem to find time but still the time you spend in a race car the adrenaline that gives you especially the sports cars which uh, they're really fast cars and they are so nice to drive you know they they really give you strong feelings i felt maybe i didn't make the right decision and uh, and sometimes, you know, if you're an optimistic guy, the right door opens exactly at the right time. And I got a call from Lord Drayson asking if they, if I could join them as a third driver in their car. And I called Audi and Dr. Rurik. He knows how much I want to drive. And he said, yeah, you can do it. Lola is not a competitor, a brand competitor of Audi. And uh, and I thought about it and I said, what should I do? It's a private car, so it's it's a new life for me in a way. But now I'm not racing for money, I just race for passion. And I just uh, gathered information and, and I was told the Lola is a good car, the team is a healthy team, why not? And I went to do the first race this year in Sebring. And uh, maybe some of you recall the first two hours of race where I was giving a very hard time to the Peugeot, even passing one on the race. And uh, I felt like I was a kid, the enthusiasm I had and, uh, you know, you couldn't see the smile because I had a closed face helmet on top of uh, of it. I had a roof. But I, I thought this is where I want to be still. You know, it was too early. And so this has been a tremendous opportunity for me to, to keep back into racing. I consider, you know, I drew a line of my career. So whatever happens now is just yeah. a bonus. It's, it's, yeah. it's a sure. gift, it, sure. you know. So it, it's, it's a good way to look at it. Fantastic. Richard, we must let you go. Um, because I know you've got other things to do apart from four races this weekend. But before you go, just tell me quickly, BRM, it's a big weekend this weekend for BRM. We're doing a special BRM tribute. and um, Sum up for me your feelings about BRM's good and bad. Because Well, I, I suppose I was lucky in a way because I drove BRM's in their good era. And um, so it was from around sort of 65... Well, I had a BRM engine in 64 on the back of a Lotus BRM, but um, but the, the era was good, and it was between the one and a half and three litres, so I did I drove both. And uh, I think with the monocoque cars, they were, they were always regarded, I think, as very safe cars. And, um, they, you know, not many people got hurt in a BRM, and things also didn't fall off them. And uh, they had a lot of support in around that... Uh, 
the 60s year was good for them. I think I think before that it was very bad um, with the, v, the V16 and then of course they didn't make a similar mistake with the 816. And uh, there was a lot of messing around, a lot of wasted uh, energy and money I think. But they got it right in the end and, and their first result was with a, a straightforward four-cylinder engine. So um, that probably sort of showed them a little bit that um, uh, an overcomplication of mechanical things is not a good thing. But um, they they had success into the seventies as well. So they they've yeah they've had grey areas and, um, and 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 good bits. And I was a part of uh, of of the good bit, I suppose. So I was lucky lucky to be there then. Uh, Manueli, uh, Richard obviously was the one of the first driver to win Le Mans for Porsche back in nineteen seventy with the nine one seven. I always thought you you were a driver that would have thrived in any era. How how would you have fancied racing at Le Mans well, in those cars? <coughs> I was actually lucky enough to be the first driver to win for Audi and this is you have a one-off opportunity because the second year is you're not going to be the first and uh, and um, in, in a race like this you need a lot of luck I always uh, after every win I, I had I, I always thought this is a this is a gift because there's a many ways where many places where you can lose a race like this but there is no secret to win it. You just have to be there and hang on and, and just be lucky. So I just I admire Richard because he's doing four races this weekend and I consider my two races already quite a commitment. Um, I consider myself as a driver in between, the, say, two eras because, of course, I belong to kind of a modern era, although I drove Le Mans first time 31 years ago, so it was already... Uh, it, it, you can call it history already... But I, I, I feel as a personality, I feel a driver of the past in a way. And, um, and I really admire those people who probably saw... Oh, it, it was another time. There was a lot of risk involved and, and it was a romantic time. And, um, and there was maybe more respect for each other. Uh, you knew every mechanic's name because now in a team, in a big team, you don't even know the names of all your mechanics. And... Uh, I, I would have really loved to be born maybe 20 years before and take part to this great time, which I, I think it's now the foundation of the modern motorsport. So I consider myself a late old arrival of the old drivers. But you, but you may not be here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. You drove the Auto Union, didn't you? Yes, I drove yeah. them. I drove yeah. them. But actually, I think, I don't think the old cars are more difficult than the new cars. I think the places they were racing were horrible. Actually, I think a, a car, the, the less grip you have, the easier the car is to drive because it slides and it gives you good good warnings. You know, Now, in the modern cars, the car is glued to the ground until the moment where it snaps off. But what was really difficult at the time, I think every mistake was extremely expensive and and the roads the runoffs and and the whole approach was so much more dangerous that made everything more difficult but in terms of actually uh, driving the cars and actually this is a question I would like to know Richard's opinion I don't really think that the old cars were more difficult I think it was much more dangerous because there were trees there were the races were longer and, and so many other reasons Yes, I think it's um, if you have uh, barriers and armco, you have a glancing blow. But if you hit a tree or something like that, it's going to stop straight away. But um, but the cars were much more fragile. 
but as you say the circuits were, were way too dangerous in the first place and, and Jackie Stewart's uh, um, quest to make uh, racing safer was very admirable uh, he didn't get any support from any of us at the time we thought well if you don't want to uh, race the way things are well don't bother to race but he was absolutely right he really was, and he got very little thanks for it, I think, from uh, from yeah. other drivers. But he, he took it in the right direction. But actually, but, yeah. no, I think nowadays, and I, I hope not to be misunderstood, I think races are, are too safe. Uh, I would like a mistake to be more expensive, not, not for the... Uh, health of the driver but now you can go off and rejoin uh, without even losing time I was actually in the last Grand Prix Monza in the stewards room to learn how to be a steward because I will be a steward in the last Grand Prix and uh, and uh, so drivers were cutting through the chicane and the stewards were saying okay he hasn't gained anything so that's okay but um, there was one who went straight uh, twice to defend his position Yes, and yeah. and for me, this is this is no good. If you make a mistake, you have to pay for the mistake, yeah. not mm. to pay with your life or with your broken bones. But I think now, it you can dare too much, and um, yes. and um, and it, in a way, it makes it makes your life a little bit easier because, you know, at least you have to have a puncture or, or something if you overshoot the braking. It, it was a little bit like um, at Hockenheim where you've got turn one there and there's massive runoff on the outside there and all the drivers very early on were doing that and, and somebody made the comment that if there, was a, if there was a brick wall there instead of the white line they might think a bit more about it and, and I think that's what you're talking about really. Yeah. Absolutely and um, actually when you see the statistics in the most dangerous and difficult corners very few accidents happen because you know drivers are scared to, true, yeah. to go the maximum and there are corners we've witnessed where in the old days there was uh, barriered all, all, all along and you would really respect them the same corner became a safe corner and it's, it's just less of a thrill less of a challenge to go so. through although the corner hasn't changed just because it's your health and your car is not in jeopardy and I said before I, I hope not to be misunderstood I don't want to see drivers being no, hurt no, no, no. But um, I would like to see mistakes being um, uh, punished. Punished, yeah. 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 I think um, I'm just talking about something else about Le Mans when I did it. Well, when uh, I was a corporate guest at Audi some years ago, and I've been one or two times since. And uh, the, I just cannot believe that the cars are driven the way they are, flat out. They're bulletproof. Uh, when we drove the 917s, we had to manage the car. And, you know, we could actually miss a gear. And there's an awful lot has changed uh, from the driver's point of view in that, um, you know, you can just hammer the car and the car lasts. But if you've done that with the 917, I don't care, you know, how the condition of the car was at the start of the race. It would not last uh, six or seven hours. It would, it would just break. And, and so that's a, an added bit that I think we had to do more than you do. But, but maybe, Emanuele, you actually had to manage your car as well or not? No, not nowadays. And actually, when I, I did Le Mans once in uh, 1981 with the Works Launcher, and I remember we had to back off three times on the long straight to let um, the turbo, <coughs> excuse me, whatever, cool down. And I think in those days you, you have to have a very good trust in your teammate because, uh, of course, lap time has always been important, but backing off and respecting the car meant uh, giving away some tenths or sometimes seconds of your of your lap time 
and I think the trust you had to to have on your teammate uh, must have been even higher than now because everybody wants to shine and, and in order to shine you can abuse to the car and um, in fact I always believed in, in a really good relationship between teammates and uh, in my old touring car days I've been driving with Roberto Ravaglia for, for many, many years in, in my uh, sports car with, Robert, with uh, Frank Bila and I think a good secret of, of uh, a success is really trusting your teammate, not wanting to beat him uh, every time you go out in practice. You have to be a little bit altruist, accept that he's, um, he can shine once uh, better than you, you know, so you can share better the track time and, and set up the car better and do and have a better result. And this is one of the things that the juniors have uh, more problems to understand because they want to see them quickest every time they go out. And this, this can put in jeopardy the, the result of the race. Uh, Manuele Pira, Richard Atwood, thank you so much. Well, we have a bit of an exceptional few minutes coming up with uh, Adrian Newey and Christian Horner from the Red Bull Formula One team. Christian's a bit keen to study his practice times, I think. But anyway, um, let me get the ball rolling uh, on the Goodwood side. I mean, look, guys, it's fantastic that you both come here. i got to ask you why. It's your weekend off. You're going to Singapore any minute now. It's a great weekend. I mean, there's some fantastic cars here. It's a, a privilege to drive, you know, a couple of them. And, um, you, you know, it's just, you know, awesome to see so many collectors cars doing what they should do which is uh, you know running around a racetrack so um, you know Charles puts on a brilliant event and it's always a, a highlight of the calendar Adrian I think we know why you come you're a frustrated Formula One driver aren't you? <laughs> uh, certainly not frustrated Formula One driver arguably a frustrated driver but no for me it's a, <clears throat> it's a hobby which I enjoy um, I mean people have said sure this is a busman's holiday but in truth being involved in Formula One professionally, in my case as an engineer, compared to um, driving cars, which I love and uh, have a great affinity for from when I was a boy, is uh, a very different thing. It's Yes, they're both four wheels, but that's the only thing in common. These are wonderful prizes for your success, aren't they? I mean, a Ford GT40, it doesn't get a lot better than that. And it, it just looks, sounds and, to me, seems to handle beautifully, yeah? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, a, it's an iconic car. It's a, a car which made a, a big impression on me when I was a lad. Um, so to be in the privileged position where I can own one now, occasionally race it, drive it on the road. Um, my kids love going in it, pick them up from school in it. So it's a, just a great all-round what, what car. A, what about the brakes, Adrian? Because anybody who ever raced one in the car's heyday always said, you know, love the car, but the brakes were the... Yeah, I mean, it's the, the downside of the GT40 is it's a heavy car. It's yes. 900 plus kilos. Yeah. Um, and in 1965 spec, which is how we race them here, then it's unventilated discs. So um, stopping is stopping is a bit of a handful. Christian, you're n not in something quite so glamorous. T tell us uh, what you'll be handling. I've got a bit of a mixture, actually. So uh, technically, I don't think I'm racing. I think I'm, I'm just going round um, in uh, an Aston Martin... DB4 with Tom Alexander, which is a lovely car. Um, I'm in a Sunbeam Rapier that had a little carburetor problem this morning, but um, still great fun to drive. And um, I've been uh, asked by John Surtees to drive one of his Formula 2 cars, which um, you know is, uh, again, a, a great little car. When was the last time we heard 
people in Formula One mention the word carburetor. I can't remember hearing the word carburetor. Anyway, it's go, good to go to any NASCAR race, even now. Well, yes. Okay. Okay. Finally, on, on the Goodwood thing, um, you say you're going round. Well, we know Adrian doesn't just go round. Uh, we have evidence of that. Don't you all? Once the flag drops, aren't you, you're going for it, aren't you? Adrian's the reigning, you know, reigning champion at this event, so you know, obviously the pressure's all on him this weekend. Uh, <laughs> um, whereas, you know, obviously with myself, it's you know, I'm I'm not even semi-professional, um, so it's just a, it's good fun. I remember the first time I did this event, I outqualified Sterling Moss, uh, at which point they announced it was his 74th birthday that day, uh, which put it a little into perspective. So, but. Um, and I was amazed how hard some of the guys, you know, push the cars out there. And you've got a lot of, you know, fantastic drivers as well. You know, guys like, uh, you know, Piro, Gunon, you know, a lot of, you know, very, very quick guys. So, um, you know, Adrian's going to have his hands full um, this weekend. Yeah, no, so I think the, the TT, I haven't looked at the grid, but I think see Tom Christensen's in it. I mean, the, the grid is, is staggering. So um, I shall uh, try, try not to try to keep my nose clean and um, not let Bobby down too much. Are you doing the first dent? Uh, we haven't got that yeah, far. Got that far. <laughs> yeah. Draw straws on Saturday evening. <laughs> um, can I briefing later tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to mention team orders, but perhaps I won't. Um, uh, there's plenty well, of team orders here. <laughs> well, I was, gonna, I was a bit disappointed in the 30s. didn't have a radio, actually, because I was just behind Christian, so I wanted to say that the car behind is quicker. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd have had to say I'm sorry as well, of course. <laughs> okay, I'm going to hand over to my colleagues, my, my editor and my editor-in-chief for just a very few minutes on the current state of the World Championship 2010. Well, it seemed to me last weekend was, was looked as though it was going to be a McLaren weekend, didn't it? I mean, I think that was what most people, we went there thinking that. And that being so, I mean, Lewis's mistake on the first lap, you couldn't have, you couldn't really have dreamt of anything better, could you? No, I think I think I think to be fair, uh, it always annoys me when you take see people taking great pleasure in somebody else's misfortune. And um, whilst you know, I think it's a sh- it, it was obviously a shame for Lewis that he dropped out in the mm. first lap. Mm. For us, it was a bit of a relief for sure. Yeah. No, I mean it was just you know if it had happened that um, I mean the the sort of thinking is that from now on most of the circuits are going to suit Red Bull very well. Um, and that was really, in some ways, that was perhaps McLaren's last shot, whether where they had a, you know, a discernible advantage uh, over you. That's the thinking, but I mean, the truth is that the pace of development of the cars is huge. Um, you can never take anything as guaranteed. McLaren will be bringing new parts to their car. Um, mm. We'll be trying to do the same. But if there's a worth more performance, or there's a wet race that throws up some mm. idiosyncrasies, whatever it might be, so. Nothing's guaranteed. I think it's no, the, no, no. the pace of development is what really singles out Formula One now. Well, I think I think the thing about Monza is if you'd have offered us those points prior to the weekend, we'd have you know we'd have probably bitten your arm off for yeah. it. So yeah. um, to come out of Monza, um, you know, actually having outscored McLaren, all the drives have had incidents you know this year, um, but to to be leaving Europe, you know, having actually. Uh, uh, extended, albeit very brief, you know, very slightly, uh, the advantage to McLaren was you know, very positive for the team. So, sure. makes the last five, you know, uh, yeah. p- going to be scintillating, uh, scintillating races. Yeah. 
Christian, Mark looked pretty annoyed after the race and having to deal with Hulkenberg in front of him and the, you know, he, Hulkenberg didn't get penalised. Um, Stewart's consistency seems about as good as Premiership football referees at the moment. What, what's, what's your view of it? Did you think that he should have been called in for a penalty? I think, uh, yes. I mean, we, we certainly were speaking and to, uh, uh, you know, the race director through the race because we felt that, you know, Hulkenberg on more than one occasion took advantage of, of you know, using extra parts of the circuit and um, you know there was an incident with Al Guasuari who was penalised you know Im- immediately and it, it just seemed to unfortunately not consistent and uh, it was you know, frustrating for Mark because he spent an awfully large amount of you know the second half of the race looking at the gearbox of, of Nico Hulkenberg and um, you know he, he eventually did manage to pass but you know obviously that then limited his opportunity to have a go at Rosberg um, but uh, you know it's frustrating that sometimes the stewards do seem to be a little inconsistent. We had it, you know, the previous uh, race in in Spa, where you know it was a, quite an aggressive move on Seb you know, at, the, at the top of the hill. Um, you know, after a rouge, we put on the grass at 300 kilometres an hour. Um, but uh, you know, on the whole, I think this year they have done a better job. But occasionally, you do get you do get these inconsistencies. Was um, Mark's problem on uh, the slow getaway on Sunday, was that in any way similar to what happened at Spa? Or was, did, he, did he just get it wrong? I mean, at, at Spa, he was, he was adamant he had a clutch problem. I think Spa, and I, and I Adrian if can correct me if I'm wrong, Spa was out of his control. That wasn't anything right, to do right. with him. Um, you know, the start in, in Monza you know, wasn't great. Um, he ended up getting a little bit too much wheel spin ended up short shifting and in fairness they only lost one place on the way down to the first turn which was with uh, with Hamilton the majority of places were lost going a little bit too deep into turn one and then out of out of the chicane right. um, you know a, a, a queue of cars managed to get past them yeah yeah okay I think we have to leave it there uh, we don't want to leave it there but uh, thank you so much for giving us your time uh, you are under pressure, Mr. Newey, as you've heard from your team boss. And Mr. Horner, have a lot of fun. And thank you both very, very much for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank, thank, you. thank you. Thanks. Okay, well, I'm very, very sad to say that we have to leave it there for uh, this uh, month's podcast, partly because these racing drivers have many, many things to do uh, today and tomorrow and the day after. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we all did here. Goodbye from uh, Nigel Roebuck, from Damien Smith, and from myself. Before we go, um, I really must thank uh, the Goodwood Road Racing Company and the Earl of March for allowing us to use their Rolex Drivers Club for this podcast. It's been a fantastic event for us. I hope it has been for you. And also to thank Ed Foster and Gabriella, who have been bringing our guests to us uh, like clockwork. Wonderful work. And never forget Alan Hyde, who controls the sound. And I can assure you that today, controlling the sound was uh, more difficult than usual. And perhaps we should just let you know that when you hear this on Monday, we were talking last Friday. Perhaps we should say that in case you're wondering why we didn't tell you who won and all those those important things about motor race meetings. Anyway, see you next month. Bye-bye. Motorsport Magazine, for the very best in motor racing. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 